Pastores de Shebatadindicem, transeamus usque Bethlehem, et videamus hoc verbum por factum est, por Dominus ostendit nobis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> we continue in this octave of Christmas to celebrate the retinue of the King. We had, in the first three days of the octave, the Feast of St. Stephen, the first of the martyrs, the Feast of St. John, the virgin disciple, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, who represent, in a sense, both virginity and martyrdom. And today, although he's now only a commemoration, we continue this procession of martyrs before the crib as we honor the great St. Thomas of Canterbury, uh, a native of these islands, and a martyr fairly late in the church's history. He arrived on the scene only in the Middle Ages, at a time when one would have thought that all of Europe was thoroughly Christianized and when the Age of Martyrs would have been finished. But such was not the case. The conflict between the Church and the world, which appeared as soon as our Lord entered this world in the Incarnation, with the Massacre of the Innocents, and then with the martyrdom of St. Stephen and of his Apostles and all of the martyrs in the centuries that followed, that conflict between the Church and the world continued even in what we would consider the Christian centuries, and so it was in the time of St. Thomas of Canterbury. St. Thomas, who himself had a rather unusual life, the earlier part of his life would perhaps not have suggested that he would have been raised to the honors of the altar. He was a man very involved in the political dealings of his time, very close to King Henry II of England. So close, in fact, that Henry II thought he could rely on him as someone who would be uh, trustworthy to assist him in his desire to bring the church under the control of the crown. And so Thomas, who already was a cleric, was elevated to the See of Canterbury, the primatial See of England, as the successor of St. Augustine, Augustine of Canterbury. And he very quickly proved to be rather different from what the king had expected. Rather than bowing before the king's wishes, he took quite seriously what he had received in his Episcopal consecration. And so he strongly defended the rights of the church at a time when the church's liberty was in danger of being curtailed by the advances of royal power, seeking to bring all things under the dominion of the crown, even the church, seeing the church as, we might say, simply a, a useful means for keeping order, a useful arm of political administration, even in the spiritual realm. Thomas recognized, as the church throughout those centuries recognized, the fundamental principle of the freedom of the Church. This was the principle for which my own patron, Hildebrand, St. Gregory VII, suffered so much at the hands of the Emperor. It was the principle for which St. Anselm also suffered in his struggles with the kings of England. And it was the principle for which St. Thomas Becket was exiled from his see of Canterbury, spent years in exile in France, went to Rome to appeal his case to the Pope, was eventually able to return to England, but the Conflict didn't cease, and as most of us probably know, the day came when Henry II, infuriated at the way in which his plans were still being obstructed, said, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Four of his knights were all too happy to put the king's bidding into action, and 
Without further ado, they went out and entered the cathedral as Vespers was about to be celebrated on this very day. And they cut down St. Thomas, the Good Shepherd, as he was vested in his pontifical vestments, about to celebrate the office of the day. And so another martyr added the tribute of his sacrifice to that of St. Stephen, to that of the Holy Innocents, to honor the newborn king who came into this world as the victim for our salvation. So the Feast of St. Thomas reminds us that in every age, there is an unavoidable conflict between the church and the world, that the maxims of the world are not those of the gospel, and that there will always be this struggle between light and darkness until our Lord returns again, and that this is the case even in Christian lands, yes, even here in Ireland, as we know all too well. The struggle between the church and the world is alive and well. And on this Feast of St. Thomas Becket, all of us are invited to pray for the shepherds of the church, to pray that they, like the shepherds we heard about in the Gospel, will be men deeply immersed in the contemplation of the word which has come to pass, the word which has been made flesh and dwelt among us, that they will go often to adore the child in the company of Mary and Joseph, that they will understand the things reported concerning the child, and that these shepherds will then go forth praising God for all that they have heard and seen, proclaiming the good news that they themselves have contemplated for the salvation of all of the faithful entrusted to them. And we pray also that the church's shepherds in our day will, like St. Thomas of Canterbury, be willing, if the opportunity arises, to lay down their lives for the flock, as the good shepherd who was born for us in these days did for his flock, as St. Stephen did, as the innocents did in their own way, and as St. Thomas did. May he intercede for all of us as we live the little martyrdoms of our daily Christian life. May he intercede for the shepherds of the church, and may all of us one day join him in adoration of the Word made flesh in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.